Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. That encouraging verse is Psalm 86, verses 6 and 7. Welcome back to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I am your host, Sandra Flack, and I'm excited to bring you my special guest today. I have learned a lot from her, uh, but first, how are you doing? Seriously? I really want to know. I've been asking that at the beginning of each um, episode, and I realize that I asked the question, but I can't hear the answer um, from unless you actually reach out to me and, and let me know. Um, and I do really want to know. So feel free if you want to touch base with me to email me directly, you know, share if you have questions or concerns or you're struggling with something with your kiddos or maybe you think FASD might be a thing going on at your house or um, anything to do with any of this journey that we are all on together. Maybe it's a topic you'd like us to cover. Maybe it's a guest you would like us to have on. Um, Reach out. I love, love, love hearing from listeners. I personally respond to each email myself. So feel free to drop me a line. Maybe it's just you know, a, a sort of like a review of the podcast that we can use in our social media promotion. Um, whatever it is, feel free to reach out. You can email me directly. Uh, my email is Sandra Flack at Justice for Orphans ny.org. I'll make sure that it is in the show notes for this episode as well because I would really love to hear from you. So, how am I doing? Uh, I know you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you anyway, but honestly, I don't know. (laughs) Um, We've had a rough couple of weeks. Um, My 17-year-old with fetal alcohol syndrome has been a bit off. Um, You know, we've had some issues with him trying to hack into the restrictions um, on his cell phone, which has a ton of... It's got so many restrictions on it. It's not really a smartphone anymore. It's sort of a, a dumb phone, you know, you know, but we're trying to keep him safe. Um, but he's like, was trying to do something to it and trying, you know, he thought he was hacking. He kept using the word hacking, but he didn't really hack. Um, but he was trying to do something there. Um, he texted one of his sisters some an inappropriate question. Um, we just been having a hard time also getting any schoolwork done or getting much done. We're getting the bare minimum done, but we haven't really kind of gotten back on track since we were up in the Adirondacks for February. Um, Anyway, things are a bit crazy, so I'm not sure why things are off, uh, but I'm staying curious. I'm listening to him. I'm available to him. I'm trying to observe and really see what might be going on. and last night he didn't he didn't want to go to youth group, uh, so I let him stay home, and I struggle with the whole youth group thing because he's 17, 
and I want him to have friends. I want him to have practice in social situations and learn appropriate social skills. Um, you know, and and I want him to be involved with, you know, church. So we've got him going to youth group, and he usually does like to go. But I'm also aware of the fact that because of his, you know, because of the dismaturity, which is part of FASD, um, and some of his other um, symptoms that he has and, and challenges, he doesn't fit in with peers. So he really doesn't fit in with the teenagers there. Um, so I don't know, maybe, you know, does he need to go to youth group? Should I be sending him to youth group? Is it the right thing to do? I don't really know. I don't have an answer to that. I've observed when we're, you know, up at camp, we've, I think I've shared on this podcast before where, you know, my husband and I have made some adult friends. There are ages and older. They, there's no kids involved, no children. Um, and my son can sit at the table at one of our friends, you know, we've gone to different, some of their their houses, their camps, and they've come to ours. And he can sit at the table with another couple in their 60s, you know, or 50s, 60s. Um, and he can sit there for three hours and in, engage in conversation with us, mostly appropriate, you know, like they, they all understand because I've given them, you know, a little bit of uh, enough information so that they understand that my son has a brain-based condition. Um, so they extend a lot of grace, but they engage him in the conversation. They talk with him. They, they laugh when he says something funny on purpose. They high-five him. They encourage him. Um, and he does so well. But yet with peers, he's a fish out of water. So I don't know. Maybe you could email me something about that. Do, do, do you send your teens to youth group? You know, and... and do you homeschool? Do you do you public school? Like, how do you handle those interactions with peer groups? Because it's always, um, I find it's always been a challenge until they get one of my kids is in their 30s, and then it doesn't matter so much anymore, right? But when they're teenagers, um, especially, I feel it's much more obvious that there's the dismaturity piece comes into piece comes into play, and they don't necessarily. Um, fit there and I don't know it's it's part of the journey but so anyway we he stayed home from youth group and then expressed um, an interest in um, wood burning like the wood burning like the tool like you have this wood burning tool kind of like a heat gun thing and you can you can um, draw images there's a name there's a fancy name for it that's pyro something or other but i can't think of it off the top of my head right now but he wanted to get this tool and make things out of wood and be able to do you know carve the burn the pictures into the wood we have actually somebody gave us my son-in-law made us a set of wooden coasters that have a little image of like a a little cabin and a tree a couple trees and a mountain um in the background like very simple um, but so, so cute, you know, and I love them. And um, so that's the kind of thing that my son wanted to do. So it's quite shocking to me because he asked to do this. He wanted to get the tool. Um, and of course, I got it for him because it's not all that expensive. And I, he's expressing an interest in something. And I want to um, entertain that and see if this is something he's going to be good at or continues to be interested in. But it's, you know, I'm a little curious because... This is the kid who's not hands-on at all. 
He doesn't like to draw. He doesn't like to paint. He doesn't like to color. He doesn't like Legos. He doesn't like anything hands-on. He wouldn't even write his name on his paper if he didn't have to, right? Um, so why, So why? and I tried every, every which way to show him, I'll order you this wood-burning tool and this could be something you and dad can do together um, because you have to do it with supervision. And, you know, but it's, you have to use your hands to do it. You're creating and you don't normally like that. And he's like, no, but I want to do this. So anyway, we ordered it. It came and, and my husband and him are, are starting to, to fiddle around with it out in our garage. Um, so I just, you know, stay tuned because I have no idea how it's going to play out because I really, really don't know if he's going to continue with it or not. Um, so stay tuned for updates. Anyway, before we get to our guest today, here are some important announcements. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. And coming up on Thursday, March 30th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, I am going to be teaching an online three-hour deep dive into FASD, or at least as deep as we can go in three hours' time. And I'll be using the FACETS Neural Behavioral Model. So if you're interested in learning more uh, about um, FASD and about facets and, and that neurobehavioral model and how we can accommodate our kids and learning about the, the, the you know, we, we go deeper into the primary, secondary, and tertiary characteristics of FASD. And, and, um, and, and so it's a, it's a great next step. If you've done my Lunch and Learn, if you've been listening to my episodes on the primary characteristics of FASD, whether or not you feel like your child has this or whether or not you feel like... Um, you know, whether you've got a diagnosis or not, because that's always really hard to get usually. Um, either way, this is an excellent um, opportunity to get some great training. Um, it's three hours using the facets neurobehavioral model. So that again is March 30th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And on Thursday, April 6th, I'm offering a free one hour lunch and learn intro to FASD. That's at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and, and that's great. The, you know, these workshops, you can do the lunch and learn. You can do the three-hour. Um, and I'll be offering another three-hour later in the month of April as well. Um, so if you want to do the lunch and learn first and then do the three-hour, whatever you want to do, um, you, you can do one or the other or both. Uh, but it's a great opportunity for you to get some more training. But also, if your spouse needs you know, you feel like your spouse would, you want them to get some of this training. Um, your, 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 your child's babysitter, school teacher, you know, guidance counselor, bus driver, grandparent, adult sibling, um, you know, whoever is in the, the, the space, right? Social worker, whoever you would want to 
start to have an understanding. Um, these are great, great places to start. So um, sign up for them. Uh, there is a registration fee for the three-hour deep dive. Um, the lunch and learn is always free. Um, we do provide certificates of completion for all of our workshops. To register for any of them or to check out what's coming up, what's on the calendar already, you would go to uh, our website, justicefororphansny.org, and click on events. Events are where the scheduled workshops already are so you just can click on and sign up for whichever one you want these the, these that i'm talking about right now are the are the online ones so you need to register in order to get the zoom link if you want to check out any of the our trainings that we offer um our the support group and all of that you can go to our website again justicefororphansny.org and you would click on training there's a drop down menu and you would click on fasd and then you can look at sort of like the whole buffet of options. And if there isn't something scheduled and you want to schedule it, or if you have a, um, you know, maybe at your church, you have a foster adoptive parent support group or um, group or whatever it is, if you want us, uh, want me to come either in person or if you want to schedule an online training where it's just for your group, your team of people, um, I do that as well. I travel. Um, I do in-person, I do online, but if you go there where it says trainings, you'll be able to find all the options. Um, also, you can also email me um, directly and ask me, you know, if you see something and you're like, well, but can you do this or can you do that? I'm very flexible. My heart is to just get this excellent training um, out there to everybody in the community, everybody caring for children, um, who were adopted or fostered or come through a kinship placement because it is highly likely that um, prenatal alcohol exposure um, could be something that you're dealing with and we want you to be FASD um, informed and equipped. So talk about being informed and equipped, you should also check out our 21 bonus podcast episodes with Dr. Jared Brown. Uh, he specializes in trauma, FASD, but autism and, you know, all of the things. Anything any foster adoptive parent would need to know, we've been talking about it in that bonus series. Um, so make sure that you're checking that out. Um, you know, we've talked about, we talk in that series, we, we cover, you know, prenatal trauma, complex trauma. I always ask questions about FASD. Um, we talk about, you know, the effects of screen time on our kiddos, um, executive function or dysfunction, working memory, all of these things. There's 21 separate episodes. Um, they're all in our you know queue of episodes. You can scroll back through, um, check them out, the, 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 especially the episodes with Dr. Brown. Um, they are some of our most popular downloaded episodes because he really takes us into the weeds and we've heard great things from you all our listeners about those episodes so make sure you check them out and let others know those episodes i feel are especially um uh beneficial to uh, social workers case workers anyone that you may be working with special education teachers um they're just so so good um and they're not just fasd specific but um, again, they definitely apply to um, all children, especially children um, who've been adopted or have spent time in foster care. So check it out. And 
please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of our episodes and so the show will be more easily accessible to other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers. Um, We want to help all of you. So now to our special guest today, Stacy Chart. Stacy and her husband Lance have three grown biological children, three grandchildren, and one 11-year-old daughter adopted through foster care with FASD. Stacy is a certified facilitator of the FACETS neurobehavioral model and also works on staff at FACETS as an office administrator and a program director. She also uh, was part of the, of the team of FACETS folks that did the training for um, the training of facilitators that I participated in for that whole year um, so that now I am a certified facilitator of the FACETS neurobehavioral model too. But I'm so thrilled to have Stacy um, here with us today. So please welcome Stacy Chart. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Sandra. Great to be here with you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to have you on the show. And I'll just give our listeners a heads up that we are recording this in the midst of a huge snowstorm in upstate New York, where I live. So the internet has been wonky. Uh, the, the There's a little bit of a delay, I think, between our audio. So, um, you know, just give us a little grace when it comes to those kind of crazy things. But um I've been just so excited because I've been, you know, to, to have Stacy on um, because Stacy, you were um, one of the facets trainers who led my uh, training of facilitators. So I'm just grateful for everything that I learned and so excited to introduce you to my listeners. Um, so thank you for, for your willingness to be on today. Thank you. So, hey, like me, you have three uh, adult biological kids. Uh, I do outnumber you when it comes to grandkids because I'm I'm uh, Mimi of seven. I think you have three, right? Yes, correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but you also adopted a daughter through foster care. So I would love to hear what led you and your husband Lance to pursue fostering and adopting. Well, um, we always we've always had a heart for children and for serving. And um, at our church, uh, one of the families, their daughter, unfortunately, um, became involved with um, drugs. And she ended up having uh, multiple children, which were then placed into the foster care system. And um, we had talked to um her, her mother, so the children's grandmother, and said, you know, we were always kind of interested in foster care. And she kind of encouraged us to pursue that. So we did. Um, and it's, it was kind of, it was interesting, because when we signed up um, to become certified foster care providers, we said that we would really like to have school age children, we weren't really interested in long term placements. Um, And we didn't have any interest in adoption. Um, Our kids at that time, well, when we first started pursuing it, I think our youngest was 15. And um, so so we, uh, you know, signed up thinking that this would be short-term placements and that we could just help um, as many families as we could along the way until um, the parents um, kind of got back on their feet. And 
that's really not what happened. <laughs> I think there was other plans at play here. <laughs> yeah. So your daughter that you adopted did first come, um, you know, she came to your family. H- how old was she when she joined your family? Was she your first placement? What happened? Yeah. So she was our first placement. And um, I remember getting that call. Um, we were actually not yet certified. Um, we were very, very close. Everything had been done. It just, we just hadn't had the final certification and, um, our certifier certifier called and he said, Hey, I have this four week old baby, um, that is in need of a placement. And I immediately said, no, we can't do that because both my husband and I, um, were working full-time jobs. And I just thought, how in the world would we take care of this newborn baby? Um, and at that point I had, um, I was working as a float in the medical field. And so I worked every single department and I was kind of telling people about, you know, this call that we got. And, um, before the end of the day, I had, um, brand new baby girl clothes. I had, um, a brand new pack and play and a car seat and a baby bathtub and a stroller and all of these things, blankets. Um, and then another friend of mine said her sister did daycare and I went and interviewed her um, and everything kind of fell into place. And my husband said, you know what, Stacy, I think that this is meant to be, I think we're supposed to take this child. And so I called the certifier back and I said, um, yeah, we'll go ahead and, and, um, take this placement. So, um, that next Thursday, we picked up this four week old baby girl and, um, yeah, and brought her home. And it was a complete, (laughs) a complete surprise and shock to us. It wasn't, uh, anything that we were expecting or had asked for, but I think that, again, there was something bigger at play here. <laughs> wow. I love stories like that because you can really see, you know, like you said, how how there's something bigger at play and, um, you know, your yes was going to be a big part of that. So um, so she was four weeks old when she came um, and, and she is diagnosed with an FASD, with a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So how old was she when, when you got that diagnosis? Like, did you know when you said yes, when she was four weeks old, that she'd been prenatally exposed? No, we didn't. We had, we had no idea, actually. We didn't get a lot of information. Um, we were told that um, the father had violent tendencies um, and that they had been involved in the foster care system uh, previously. But really, we weren't given a whole lot of information aside from that um, and didn't really know why other than it was an unsafe situation um so yeah that that was that was um kind of a surprise for us and she was the happiest best baby ever um and you know previously in my younger years i was a preschool teacher so i'd been around a lot of children and um there was just something a little bit different about her so i remember when she was like two months old, um, we would be holding her and she would arch her back so violently, like she was throwing a temper tantrum, but what two month old throws a temper tantrum that just doesn't happen. And then there was other things like, um, she had a hard time breathing. Um, 
kind of like asthmatic or some something. I'm not sure. So she had to sleep in a car seat. And I remember my husband sitting out on the front porch, um, having her wrapped up in blankets and rocking on the rocking chair for hours um, until she would fall asleep. She, she always had a hard time sleeping. Um, but other than that, like she was amazingly gifted in athletics. Like she had the most amazing balance. And I think it's because she was microcephalic. So her small head gave her that um, amazing balance, unlike other toddlers um, who usually have, you know, their center of balance is a little off because they usually have a lot bigger of heads. Um, anyway, so she had, she was amazing with her balance and um, she's always been very athletic and, um, but yeah, there was just some things that were off and she, her energy, even with her lack of sleep, energy was just through the roof. Um, so, so we actually discussed with, um, our pediatrician, I think who, um, she, oh, she had other things like failure to thrive and, uh, some other diagnoses. And so we, um, met with a cocoon nurse at our, um, at our local health center. And, um, she happened to know a couple of her siblings and said, you know what? I think it might be a good idea to connect with Diane Melvin. And um, she told us that Diane Melvin um, educated people about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And she said, I think that might be beneficial to you. So that was kind of our first clue that maybe there was something else going on here. And um, so we actually registered for the very next class that Diane offered. And that's, that's where this whole process got started. Wow. So you got to go right from, you know, right to Diane Melvin. <laughs> yeah. And for for our our listeners who might not know, Diane Melvin is the author of the book Trying Differently Rather Than Harder, which is always the book we recommend to anybody who may be suspecting um, or knows that their child was prenatally exposed. Um, and th that is she is the one who, you know, launched. I don't know if launched is the right word, but the founder of facets, right? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were wow. really fortunate. And um, so our daughter was only, well, she was, I think, around one year old at that point um, when we took our first training with Diane. And I remember sitting in that um, that training. And on the second day, she was explaining some of the things that um, that we might see if our child is affected. And, and one of those things was if you're holding your child and she's arching her back or, um, you know, that could be sensory sensitivities and, um, all of these things that she was naming were, she was describing our daughter and I broke down crying and I was like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, this is it. Like, yeah, she definitely, it looks like she has some, something going on, possibly fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And I did not know at that point, um, her alcohol, her mom's, her birth mom's, um, substance use. We didn't have any of those kinds of records, um, until after we adopted her. Wow. How old was your daughter when you did adopt her? Um, so she was just shy of two years old. And um, when we did receive all of those records, um, it was confirmed um, about the substance use. Um, and not only with alcohol, but with meth and marijuana, um, cigarettes, all of that. So um, 
so we did have that documentation, which actually made the diagnosis a little bit easier. We went to the University of Washington um, and received that diagnosis. And um, and even though we we suspected, it was really hard to hear it. And it, um, you know, just having that confirmed, <laughs> I asked my husband, I was like, you're not going to cry, right? And he said, oh, no, I'm prepared. This is okay. I'm, I'm prepared. And then you sit in this room and you hear all of these um, specialists talking to you about your daughter and Oh boy, we weren't prepared because we just both broke down crying. <laughs> it's hard. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So so you described the symptoms she was presenting with when she was really little. Um, you got the diagnosis. And then um, what were the symptoms that you were you were seeing as she became school age like uh, as things as time went on i'm sure there are different different symptoms that were presenting yeah so right now she's 11 years old um so we've been at this for um over 10 years now and um well almost actually almost 12 years because she's very close to her 12th birthday so as she went on into um elementary school age we noticed that things would continually be harder for her. So um, she, again, her energy level is still through the roof. And um, we started meeting with the psychiatrist and um, he said, you know, there's no way that she's going to get through kindergarten without being put on medication. And I Lance and I are both very conservative about medication. And I think that if there's anything else that you can do prior to medicating, I think that that's um, best. And that's actually um, with facets. They said to make sure that you put everything into place, accommodations into place, and then see, um, see if she settles. And she actually did. However, her energy level was still through the roof and she still could not sleep at night because um, she just could not shut her brain down. And, um, she did okay in school. Um, she struggled with some things, but she, she, I think was really good at masking it because she really wants to fit in with peers. Um, and just recently, actually, we've really been noticing that she does struggle with math. She struggles, um, with executive function. So anything trying to plan and organize, um, she really, really struggles with that. And it's showing up more because there's more responsibilities, more expectations put on her. So of course the gap is getting bigger because she cannot keep up with that. So um, she's still very, very gifted athletically. Um, and she, we did actually start her on medication. So she does take clonidine for sleep which um, I know it works because a couple of times we've actually forgotten to give it to her and she was up the entire night um, <laughs> doing creative things, amazing creative things, but she did not sleep at night. Um, and I know that the, we have her on Adderall as well. And the Adderall does help, help to kind of, um, kind of calm her brain so that she can actually focus. And, um, and uh, we did not actually start that until she was in the, between the second and third grade, I think. Um, so we did, he thought we'd have to start it in kindergarten and we, we held off in, until um, the second or third grade and it does actually help quite a bit. So um, yeah, there's just, there are struggles. Um, and 
I think speaking with her teachers and letting them know that um, she really can't handle the amount of work put on her, um, especially homework. We don't really do a whole lot of homework at home because um, she's worked so hard during the day that we need to really, you know, give her her brain a little break. Academics will come later. Relationship comes first. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree with that. And uh, I know my son, my son who's 17, we started him on uh, clonidine when he was 15. Um, and that did help. He takes that at night. Um, yeah. And now uh, he's also taking... Um, it's fluoxetine, which I think the the um, name brand or whatever the terminology is there would be Prozac, um, because he yeah. was really struggling during uh, COVID is really when he began to go off the rails, so to speak, and just a lot of anxiety, a lot of um, just just. Uh, he stresses out and has anxiety over things that have nothing at all to do with him. And so like we keep the TV news off so he doesn't know what's going on in the world because that will do it. Um, you know, just just again, things that have nothing to do with him. So it was his I can only imagine what his cortisol levels are typically. Um, so this has helped take the edge off a little bit. But we're sort of on that journey of figuring out how much is the right amount. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so we're, we're doing that. But he's and he's 17. We you know, we really put that off as long as we could as well. Um, so I, I want to ask you this just out of curiosity. So I, I, she's, is, she in, is she in public school? And how did the teachers, like, how does, how does the teacher receive the fact that you're saying no homework? No, she's not in public school now. She was in public school okay. up until uh, second grade. And she, um, in public school, she really kind of fell through the cracks. Um, I remember going to one of her parent-teacher conferences, and um, they had a folder of all of this uh, schoolwork that they wanted to share with us. And um, there was one thing that they put in there that they put in all of the folders for all of the children. And Tiva's um, was completely blank. And um, she looked at it and she goes, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I missed this. I can't believe that I missed this. She didn't do any of this. And um, so she really was not getting the support, even though we had a 504. They wouldn't do an IEP, but we had a 504 plan. And um, she just fell through the cracks. Even though we had things in place, she still fell through the cracks. And the class class sizes were so big that, um, you know, I asked them to do specific things. And they said, oh, we have 30 kids in our class. We don't have time to do that, which I thought, okay, that something needs to change. So we ended up putting her in a small Christian school and um, the class sizes are very, very small, um, which is extremely beneficial. She still struggles with that. And actually, um, as I said, she's falling a little bit more behind as more expectations are put on her. So um, I don't think that the teachers quite get it yet. We've had a couple of meetings and um, I want to schedule a training with them, but we have, it's such a small school that I think that they, uh, kind of struggle with having time to do everything. Um, so we will, we, we continue to have conversations. I have told them that um, at this point, like social skills are, are very important to me. Um, the academics will come. And um, that's not where my focus is at this point for her. And 
um, they're pretty understanding. And I think they are more willing to try different things because it is a smaller school and they can focus more attention on each of the students, which is helpful. So we're getting there. It's still yeah, not perfect. I, <laughs> still not perfect. Yeah, we still I, struggle. I love that. Oh, I was just going to say, like, there's certain things that she's been struggling with um, since she was very little. Things like transitions, um, any transition, like from from sleep to wake or from um, waking up to getting her clothes on and from getting her clothes on to going out the door. Like all of these transitions are really hard for her. So we do put accommodations in place for things like that. Um, and then she does have kind of some social anxiety as well. So we did end up keeping her, holding her back a year. Um, we started kindergarten late just because she was not ready socially. And I, I think that that's helped too. Um, but yeah, we definitely things are more settled. And um, she used to have these horrible rages prior to us really implementing the neurobehavioral model. But now that we have I mean, things are much, much more settled, but of course it's not perfect because she still struggles and we can't be on all the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that also different ages, different stages, like just when you think things are stabilized and all of a sudden they're, you know, preteens or teenagers or there's always yeah. a change, you know, that's affecting things. And, and um, I know I had a, a, a good friend of mine whose daughter has FAS, um, who's now um, I think she's 20 years old now, um, they were able to, they also put their daughter in a smaller uh, private Christian school, but they had the, um, and not everybody has this, but they had the advantage of being able to provide a tutor, like a one-on-one -on -one tutor that they hired and brought into the school two days a week to sit with her daughter when it came to academics. Um, and they said that was a huge help. Not everybody can do that. Um, but I, I feel like whatever accommodations that we're able to make for our individual kids, um, you know, if that's, that's what we need to do. That's so important. Um, you mentioned the neurobehavioral model. So for our listeners who might not know, can you explain uh, the neurobehavioral model for us? You know, give us that elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, the neurobehavioral model basically links the brain with behavior. So um, we know that the brain is a physical organ, just like the heart, the lungs. Um, we also know that alcohol and other teratogens um, or trauma can kill or alter um, cells of a developing fetus. Um, and these are physical changes. So, um, so therefore, we know that fetal alcohol or other neurobehavioral conditions are brain-based invisible physical disabilities with behavioral symptoms. And so knowing that, we know the neurobehavioral model says that um, providing accommodations for people with fetal alcohol or other neurobehavioral conditions is as appropriate as providing accommodations for people with other physical disabilities. Um, and um, so just not expecting the individual to change, but to change the environment around them to best support them. And the thing that I love about the neurobehavioral model is it's based on the individual's strengths. So it's not it's not a one size fits all approach. We really look at who the person is, what they what they can do, what's hard for them, how they learn best, and then accommodate the environment around them to support that. Um, and that has been 
an absolute total life changer for us. Um, and it really kind of allows me to take a step back and to realize that her um, behaviors are not directed at me, that she's struggling. And this is how she's communicating that to me. And so depersonalizing that has made our lives a whole lot easier. I love that. I love that because it's it's also was a game changer for our family as we discovered the neurobehavioral model as well. And that's why I wanted to become a facilitator because I wanted every family that I interacted with, our podcast listeners and and folks, to have this this this. Uh, the training to be able to to be able to offer that to them because um, it, it was it was a game changer for us as well. Uh, but just coming to understand the prevalence of FANB, you know, and 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 mm-hmm. that we can focus on the individual and that it is the brain and not willful behaviors, you know. Right. So it's been quite the journey. You mentioned accommodation. So give us some examples of the accommodations that you provide to help your daughter be successful. Oh gosh. Sometimes we do these without even thinking because we've been at it for a while. But I did <laughs> mention um <laughs> um I did mention transitions. Like we always plan you know, give her lots of notice so that she can be prepared for those transitions. Sometimes um, we'll use a visual cue or we'll use something that's not us, our voice. So like using electronics like Alexa or something and setting a timer so that she knows when to transition to something else. That's actually helpful um, because then it's not us saying, you know, you need to get off electronics or you need to do this or you need to do that. It's not us. It's her time is up. Also, Keeping things as much of a routine as possible is extremely helpful for her um, because she does really struggle with changes in the routine and that gives her a lot of anxiety. Um, So we always kind of plan our days the same (laughs) Um, and just making sure if there's anything that is changed to give plenty of transition time. our daughter's also one that really craves proprioceptive input. Um, so heavy work. Um, and we've installed, we have a, a spare room. We call it the playroom. Um, and we have a swing in there. We have a climbing wall. Um, we have the trapeze bar. Um, we have a couple of different swings, actually. Um, and that really helps her to be able to get out that energy no matter what the weather is outside. Um, She loves music. We have a big Bluetooth speaker in there where she can play her music really loud. She can have lights in there. Um, And we have big, huge boulder rock pillows that are at the bottom of the climbing wall that she can crash into that sometimes we use some of the big, long rock pillows as like a rolling pin and pretend that she's dough and we can kind of roll her out to give her that um, heavy work um, on those big, uh, muscles. And um, so all of those things really help our our household <laughs> to function every day. Um, and um, yeah, I know that there's so many things that we do all of the time. And, and um, one of the big things also is just kind of meeting her where she's at. So in the evening, it's a little bit hard for her because she transitioned to bedtime <laughs> is not something that comes really easily to her. And um, 
She always wants to snuggle in a blanket and she usually wants a bowl of cereal. And so we provide that. And that's something that um, probably with my three older kids, I wouldn't have done that. Um, But that's what she needs at that point. And I know that that's what she needs and that helps her to settle. So that's what we do. Um, Just kind of remembering that at this moment in time, she's not an 11 year old. She's maybe a five year old. And so this is how um, we need to help her do things that we would do for a five-year-old. Yeah, I love that. And and you also mentioned no homework earlier, which is really an accommodation as well. Yeah, yeah, we definitely, um, <laughs> we do a little bit of homework sometimes, but we kind of let her gauge where she's at. And if, if it seems like it's been kind of a tough day and she's tapped out, then we won't do it. And, um, and yeah, that's, that is an accommodation that we make. I think sometimes the teacher's, aren't quite on board with that. Um, But again, we keep the communication open and just let them know where she's at. And I think for the most part, um, they are, they are in agreement with that just because relationship comes first. Yeah, I love that. Um, Also, I see a lot of chicken pictures on your social media. (laughs) Um, Because you you have a mini farm with chickens and goats and an emu and all of the things. So tell us about that. Yeah, so we, um, this is a whole other story that's kind of crazy how it happened. Um, We've always been animal lovers and we have a miniature horse and our oldest daughter was really into horses. She actually married a rancher um, and she did three day eventing and all kinds of stuff with big horses. But after she moved out, she took all the big horses. We still had goats um, and we still had um, an emu and um, one day, a chicken showed up in our yard and um, we called all of our neighbors to see if maybe somebody was missing a chicken and nobody was. And this chicken did not leave. It came to the door. Our, our daughter um, picked it up and brought it inside. And it was like the tamest little chicken. And um, we kind of started feeding it and we didn't have a coop or anything at that point. Anyway, fast forward um, to when the pandemic happened we really couldn't get out and do a whole lot. And my husband really likes, he does not like to sit idly. And so I said, you know, I would really love to have a Western town chicken coop. And he was like, Oh yeah, that'd be cool. So he made one. Um, it's, it's really cool actually. (laughs) And we have a, there's a YouTube video. I think it's called coastal coops. You can look it up and see, um, see what it is. But, um, so now we have, three chicken coops and mm, I think over 30 chickens and chickens have really become Tiva's therapy animal. And, um, they calm her like nothing else. Like we have dogs and cats as well. Um, but chickens just really seem to, um, help to settle her. And um, she goes out and spends time in the chicken coop every single day. And the bonus part is we get eggs. So <laughs> chickens are pretty easy <laughs> and it's pretty cool. And it's really weird how how we came into it. And that that one chicken that showed up at our house truly was a therapy chicken. Like that, I feel like a crazy person when I say this, but that chicken had some sort of weird intuition and knew when she needed support. And sometimes we'd pull in the driveway and she'd be having 
um, crying or having a fit or having a rage and um, Nugget was the chick was what she named the chicken and Nugget would greet her at the door and she'd scoop her up and bring her inside and uh, read her books and snuggle with her. And I just thought this is this is so weird, but it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> What she needed, what your daughter needed. She needed a therapy yeah. chicken. <laughs> who would have thought, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only yeah. God knows who sent the chicken, but he was definitely a needed, she was a needed chicken. It's a she chicken, right? Look, it's a, she, it's a hen, yes. I assume. Yes, sadly, she passed yeah. away um, a year ago. Oh. And that was really, really tough um, for all of us. Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah, that was super tough. But we do have other chickens and we, have a whole bunch of roosters, way too many roosters. And one is kind of not really taken the place, but kind of stepped in and um, is very sweet with her. And um, they've kind of formed a little bond. So, so that's, that's fun. But um, I think we'll always have chickens if they provide this for her, because it's, um, it's just another amazing tool in our toolbox of things that can help our daughter. So <laughs> we're, we're all about that. <laughs> yeah. And you wouldn't go uh, go out and say, oh, I think we're going to try, you know, to become chicken farmers um, to help our daughter. It just it just sort of happened. But you were, you know, paying attention to how it impacted her and then just expanded on that. So I love that. I knew it was tied in there yeah. somewhere. And I knew because I've seen pictures on social media of your daughter holding chickens. So um, I love that. So also, uh, all right, so let's transition to this. Most of our listeners are adoptive and foster kinship uh, caregivers. So Stacy, what advice or words of encouragement would you offer them? Well, you know, it was really interesting. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story. When we were doing foster care, um, as I said, she was our first placement. We did have another um, sibling group of three that came with us for a long Easter weekend. Um, and it was really great and wonderful. Um, but we really did not take a whole lot of other foster children just because, um, our daughter was pretty high needs and, um, and we, we both work full time. So we really didn't feel like we had the time to, to, um, bring in more. Um, and our certifier had told me one day, that I was a bad foster parent and I was taken aback. I couldn't believe that he would say that. And I said, why, why would you say that? And he said, because I get too attached. And so I won't be in it for the long run. And yes, I guess maybe that's true because after we adopted, we did let our, um, our certification expire and we didn't renew it. However, I don't think that you can ever get too attached to children. These children, anything that you can provide them, like they, they deserve love. They deserve care. They deserve someone to be attached to them. And, um, I always kind of, um, got depressed when we would receive a call in the middle of the night and say, Oh, can you take this 18 month old child? Can you take this whatever? And I always wondered like, what, what is happening at this time of the night so that they need to call someone and um, take this child. And I always sat and I prayed for those children um, when we couldn't take them. And um, Lance, my husband always tells me um, 
he bought me a starfish. I don't know if you're familiar with the starfish story where the starfish were all on the beach and a man, this little boy was tossing him back in the ocean. The man was like, why are you doing that? There's so many, there's no way that you can save all of those starfish. And he said, because it matters to that one. And that's what he, he tells me to remember. Just remember it matters to that one. So don't get discouraged because the work that you're doing matters to that one, even though we may not be able to save all of the children or to take all of the foster care children, um, every call that we get, it does matter to that one. Yeah, I love that because I know we, we had adopted our first daughter that came in through um, adoption. She came in as a kinship. She was a relative. And then eventually we adopted four children internationally. Uh, and then with our nonprofit, I'm at, out there advocating for families to become foster and adoptive parents. So I just kind of came to the conclusion that, well, obviously we have to be foster parents too. Um, and my husband and I actually went through the training, but every time it was like, you know, first they told us, well, we had a, we had, well, we have eight kids all together, but the, but uh, one of our sons was college age and was about to leave to go away to college. So the placement agency said, well, wait, because we didn't have a bed available, basically. So we'll wait till he moves out, and then you can do it. And then my mom became um, terminally ill, and I started caring for my mom. So it just seemed everywhere I turned, the door was closing for us to actually complete that process, but also our boys, our youngest two became, you know, the FASD was presenting, the, the, the symptoms were really showing up and it became, it was, it was getting harder and harder. And then finally, mm -hmm. my husband said, you know, we can't, we can't take them all, though we would like to, but our boys have such significant needs. It's not fair to them if we bring in more children and it's not fair to the children that would come in either because we wouldn't be able to give them what they need. And and, right. and through the work of our nonprofit, we're getting other people to do it. So my husband was like, come on, we did, we did our part. It's time for other people to step up. Um, because again, if I took, if we started fostering and took in more children, I wouldn't be able to run the nonprofit. So we feel like through the nonprofit, the work multiplies, um, yes, absolutely. but we have hearts to, yeah, we have hearts to want to do this. Um, but, you know, we all have taken children in and those are, those are our priority. Um, and when you know you can do more, you can do more. And when you know it's time to just focus on where, what you, who you have and where you're at, then that's wisdom too, because we are making a difference for that one. Um, so I love, love what you shared there. So Stacy, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And I really appreciate all you're doing to support the FASD community through facets and all the work that you're doing. Um, and I really appreciate you being a guest on the show today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sandra. And I'm, I'm super um, happy and excited to be um, interviewed by you and, and thinking about all of the work that you do to help others as well. So keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for listening to um, the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. I hope you feel inspired and better supported um, for your journey uh, through this episode today. I know I was. Um, I, I just loved learning about um, FASD and the FACETS Neurobehavioral Model um, through Stacy uh, when she was part of the team that led the training of facilitators that I participated in. Um, love her story and her heart. So um, I hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you check out um, the show notes uh, because I'll put also a link to FACETS in there. 
Um, so you can check the, uh, facets out more if you're not familiar with it. Um, also, I do highly recommend the book Trying Differently Rather Than Harder by Diane Melbin. Um, very important, especially if you're just embarking on this journey. I also tend to give everybody I know a copy of that book uh, when I encounter them. <laughs> so um, if, when I meet up with, a, 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 whether it's my, been my adult children, um, people that my, my kids are interacting with, or um, other foster or adoptive parents who start you know, sharing with me some of their struggles and it looks like it could possibly be um, something you know, that possibly their child may have been prenatally exposed. Um, I just share that book everywhere because it is such uh, an important and vital resource. So check that out too. Um, and remember, for guidance on your parenting journey, be sure to check out our website for the the Hope for the FASD Journey Virtual Support Community, um, also the Intro to FASD Lunch and Learns that I offer for free online each month, as well as the deep dive workshops into FASD where I use the FACETS Neurobehavioral Model. Um, so for details for all of um, those trainings and resources, again, our website, justicefororphansny.org. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know by subscribing. If you listen on Apple, please leave a review um, and let your fellow adopting and fostering friends know about this podcast so that they can listen and be encouraged and equipped too. You can find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. You can also find and follow me, Sandra Flack, on both of those platforms as well. I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today, and I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.